Welcome to season two of the First Prez podcast. Last season was titled Gathered and Sent. It was all about our purpose and mission, being both gathered as the church to equip and encourage one another and sent to be the church in our neighborhoods, schools, and workplaces. This season, we're focusing on the five values that guide all of our decisions as a church. We believe that we are called to be disciple-making disciples of Jesus, who are biblically literate, spiritually formed, mission-focused, and gospel-fluent. So welcome to season two, Values and Direction. Well, today we continue our series detailing the five values that our session adopted to help us move forward as a church that has a defined purpose, as a church that's on mission. So we've talked about being a people who are biblically literate, a people who are spiritually formed, and for the next three weeks, we're going to talk about being a people who are mission-focused. Now, this isn't about financial support. It's not even about mission trips or service projects. Today, we're talking about something much deeper, something at the core of our faith itself. Now, this passage in Acts 4 makes a lot of people really uncomfortable. It can make people really nervous. That's why I made Sabrina read it. On its face, it it sounds like it's an argument for some sort of socialism or communism and an argument against our current economic system in particular. It can seem that way. And elements of the church throughout history, they have used this passage to argue for what they consider to be a more fair and just economic system. They would say that Acts 4 is describing a system that God intends to be mandated by all governments. Now, others throughout history, they've used the passage to argue the exact opposite, that this type of economic system fails. They would say that what Acts 4 is describing is a failed experiment in the early church. They argue that those early Christians were starry-eyed idealists. They were generous to a fault. And that idealism eventually led to financial failure of the church in Jerusalem. Now, there's truth in all of that. We can go round and round about those arguments all day long. But they're actually distractions from the text itself. You see, we always have to remember this passage wasn't written today. It wasn't written about Western American capitalism or or any other modern economic system. It was written 2,000 years ago. So we go to that context first, and then we see what it has to say to us today. So I'll just tell you right off the bat, this passage is not really about money. It's not about selling land. It's not even about an economic system. It's actually about love. See, most passages, they offer us an interpretive guide. They give us a key to help us understand the point of the story. In Acts 4, we get that interpretive guide in verse 32. It says, all the believers were one in heart and mind. Now, I want you to hang on to that. I want you to remember that for a minute because we need to go back in time to understand something first. Now, I mentioned this in a sermon back in the fall, but the first mention of the word love in the Bible, it doesn't occur in Genesis 1, 2, or 3. Even the marriage of the first man and woman does not include the Hebrew word for love. That Hebrew word is ahava, and it's used in a number of ways. It can be used to describe human-to-human love. It can be used to describe the love that we have for God, but most importantly, 
It's the Hebrew word for divine love. God's love. When we say that God is love, it's the same as the Hebrews saying, God is Ahava. So this tells us a couple things. First, that divine love is not just a feeling. It's not about romance. Our culture has taken this word love and turned it into something, something very different. It not only describes feelings, it's not only focused on romance, but we've made it about attraction, affection, that warm, fuzzy feeling we get when we see somebody we like. We've even taken that word and demeaned it to use it to describe food and other random things. None of that is the primary meaning of the word love. You see, the first mention of Ahava in scripture, it's not in the first chapters of Genesis, it's in Genesis 22. 22 chapters into scripture is the first time we get this word that describes God's love. And it's the story of Abraham and his son Isaac. It says this, then God said to Abraham, take your son, your only son, whom you love, Ahava, Isaac, and go to the region of Moriah, sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on the mountain I will show you. Now, this is a difficult story. We went deeper into it back in the fall. We don't have time to get into the horror of that story right now. You can go back and find a sermon. It's actually titled WWE, and it's on October 13th. So you can find that on the website. But here's the point for today. The first time the Bible uses the word love, it's not in the context of a romantic relationship. It's not in the context of a relationship between two people who were falling in love the way we might use it. It's in a story about sacrifice. It's a story that foreshadows the sacrifice that God is going to make. His only son, whom he loved. Same language. His beloved son, who is made a prisoner and a slave, who is crucified on a cross in order to free us from bringing prisoners to shame, from being slaves to sin, so that we can have life everlasting. So love must first be seen in the context of sacrifice. If we are going to understand the divine love by which God defines himself. Scripture calls us all throughout. Scripture calls us to Ahava, the Lord our God, with every part of our being. With every aspect of our life. To do that, that kind of love, it requires sacrifice. If I am going to trust and obey the Lord with my whole being, with my whole life, that means that I am going to have to sacrifice what I want, what I think I need or deserve from this life. And I'm going to have to trust that his path is better. That's really hard. It's really hard. But that is true Christian faith. You see, biblical love, there's feeling involved. But biblical love, it's about action. See, I can say that I love my wife. But if there are not actions that reveal that love to her or to the world around us, then all I have are words. That really has become the problem with our cultural faith. In our culture, we say a lot of things about God. But what are we doing that puts flesh on those words? 
Scripture tells us exactly how we are to put flesh on that popular word, love. And it's to sacrifice for the sake of God and for the sake of others. Now, we have a perfect illustration of this, an illustration that comes not from the church, but from the world around us. Tomorrow is Memorial Day. It's a really important day. It's a day that we remember those who have given their lives in service to their country. People who willingly have given their lives because they love their neighbor. Jesus himself said that there is no greater love than when one lays down their life for another. His story, his life, he's the architect of that love. And the brave men and women who serve and who have given their lives, they embody that sacrifice that Christ first modeled. Now, when a soldier goes to war, they go accepting the possibility of death, but they don't choose for whom they will die. You see, they willingly sacrifice their lives for all kinds of people, for people who love them and for people who might hate them. They sacrifice their lives for liberals and conservatives, for Christians and Muslims and atheists, black and white, rich or poor. There is no discrimination in their sacrificial service. They serve willingly and they give everything out of their love for their fellow men and women. Those first apostles and disciples of Jesus, they gave their lives for Christ and for one another as well. They lived and died for Christ and for each other. And they not only gave their lives, but they were willing to even give up their stuff if it meant that a member of their community would then have food and a roof over their head. You see, Acts 4 is not about socialism or communism or any economic system of this world. It's about the kingdom of God. And it's about a kingdom of God event that happened in the life of a community when they were united in heart and mind. When they were united in their love for Christ and their love for one another. It wasn't legislated. It wasn't imposed. It was love that led that community to a radical act of sacrifice on behalf of one another and their city. Now, in contrast to that radical, sacrificial love for others, we live in an age that tells us, it's all about me. It's all about you. I mean, in this world that we live in today, why would one person give up what's rightfully theirs, what they earned, just so they could care for somebody else? We are so inwardly focused that to us, Acts 4 sounds ridiculous. It sounds insane. Starry-eyed idealists, right? We are told here in this place, in this time, we're told to every day, look out for number one, to get what's yours. Take care of those closest to you, but everybody else needs to just fend for themselves. And look, that's fine. That's a choice. It's just not biblical. You see, over 2,000 times in the Old Testament, we are instructed to remember the widow, the orphan, the alien, and the poor. We are to seek justice for them, to provide for them when we can, to care for those who, for whatever reason, are unable to care for themselves. 
It doesn't mean that they should stay that way, that they should stay always in need. It just means that when you're faced with an opportunity to help somebody who is in need, the love of Christ in you compels you to radical acts of sacrifice that can make someone else whole. No government can legislate this. No economic system will ever provide for this because it's an act of love. Acts 4 is not arguing for a change in the systems of this world. It's describing what happens when citizens of the kingdom of God live according to the ways of the kingdom of God, even as they live and breathe here on earth. You cannot legislate love, but Christ calls upon us to do what no system can demand. And sometimes it's radical. Acts 4 reminds us that we are called to be a people who are mission-focused. And our mission is to love God and love others as ourselves. And to baptize and teach the nations everything Jesus taught us. You see, being a people who are mission-focused, it's not just about our mission trips. It's not about whether our church gives 10% of its budget to mission organizations. It doesn't start there. mission focus is first and foremost remembering that we are called to be a people who practice the way of Christ. And the most Christ-like thing we can do is sacrifice our desires for the benefit of others. The church in Acts sacrificed for one another and for their city because they were united in heart and mind. Our interpretive guide for this passage They were united in heart and mind. They agreed on the basics. Who is Jesus and what has he called us to do? Now, we know for a fact that there is a lot of stuff they disagreed about. They're going to fight often throughout the rest of the book of Acts. There were likely disciples among them who were more conservative and some who were more liberal. There were introverts and extroverts. They were male and female. They were young and old. There were people who were kind and loving and hospitable to others. And there were others who were more direct and coarse in the way that they spoke. They were a lot like us. They were a community of individuals who came from all different walks of life, but they all made the decision to submit to Christ, to trust and obey him, and to be united together in heart and mind and to live in a way that would set them apart from the rest of the world. Through that sacrifice, the Holy Spirit drew thousands to the church every day. That's how a movement of 12 scared disciples has made its way through the centuries to us here and now today. They were not obligated to sell and share their stuff. It wasn't legislated. They did it out of ahava, real love that sacrificial biblical love that's modeled in the person of Jesus Christ. The love that we are now called to model to the world. All right, so what? Well, you will be comforted to hear that the so what for today is not a call to sell all your stuff and give it to the church. The so what for today might actually be a little more difficult. Sacrifice what you want 
because you love others. Put others first. Put God first. Put others second. And put yourself last. Be united in a community. Be united in heart and mind, even in a community with those who you disagree with. Even a community that might have people that you don't like. Be united in heart and mind on the things that matter. Because the one who sacrificed everything for us compels us to do the same for one another. So let's get really practical. And this will be difficult, but it's important. In this time of crisis, during this pandemic, some of you might think that those who are ready to get back to work, maybe you think they're being reckless. Maybe you're assuming that they don't trust science. Maybe you're making a judgment that they care more about their bank account than they care about people's lives. But what if, rather than judge them and focus on the things you disagree about, what if we learn to see them as people who are just struggling to find their way through a crisis that nobody planned for and the truth is, Nobody really knows what to do. People from our church have lost significant percentage of their salary. Some have lost their jobs altogether. They are not horrible people because they simply want to go back to work so they can provide for their family. Certain elements of our culture, they will try to convince you that anyone who wants to get right back to work doesn't care if people die. Y'all, that's just not true. The world is not that simple. It is not that black and white. We can be concerned about both life and livelihood. We can do both. Now, others, others might think it's ridiculous that you're being asked to wear a mask when you go into public places. You might think it's an infringement on your basic rights to be told what to do. And that's fine, it, it probably is. So then choose to wear a mask out of obedience to Christ's call to sacrificially love others. If it makes me feel more comfortable, if it makes me more willing to be around more of you if we are wearing masks, then let your love for me and your desire to be around others, let that lead you to make that small sacrifice. Certain elements of our culture will try to convince you that if you're wearing a mask, you're submitting to government control. That's not true. The world is not that simple. It's not that black and white. I can wear a mask to protect you and also reject the idea that somebody can force me to wear a mask. You see, what our culture needs, what our city, what our community needs is a people who won't give in to this temptation to turn everything into a left and right issue. In three months, whatever you think of this crisis and this pandemic, we have successfully turned a virus into a left and right issue. Our world needs a people who won't do that. Our world needs a people who will take the brave step 
of sacrificial love on behalf of others, no matter what they believe. Take that brave step of sacrificial love on behalf of others in that non-discriminatory way that our soldiers serve and sacrifice on behalf of others, regardless of whether we agree, whether we look or think alike. We are all God's image bearers. We are loved by him simply because he loves us. And that makes every human being worthy of our sacrificial love. See, this is what it means to be mission-focused. To be a people who, no matter what's going on in the world around us, no matter what everyone is saying, to be mission-focused means to be a people who choose love, who model Christ's sacrifice for us by doing the same for others. Mission-focused means not being so locked in on what I want to do that I'm unwilling to hear what I'm being called to do. If we are listening to the voice of Christ in the midst of every circumstance in this life, the promise is we will never be led astray and our sacrifice will never be in vain. I'm going to speak for myself just for a minute. I personally want nothing more than to have you in this room with me right now, worshiping God and enjoying time with one another, all of you. We need that, and it's coming. The church cannot function online forever, and we won't. But for now, for now, I'm willing to sacrifice my desire to be with you in person because what I want more is to do my part to keep you and this community safe and healthy. Our session is meeting on Monday night. And we're going to finalize a reopening plan. And our plan is to share that with you by the end of next week. Now that plan is going to go too fast for some of you. It's going to go too slow for others. But know that the leadership of the church is being prayerful and thoughtful and strategic about this. And we truly believe the Holy Spirit is leading us down the right path And right now, that path requires sacrifice. Know that our decisions will not be made based on left or right philosophy. They'll be guided by the Holy Spirit. And they'll be obedient to Christ's call to love you and to love this community. They'll also follow through on those guiding principles that we established back at the end of April. Our mission is to love God, to love others, and to make disciples. And even in this time of separation, in some ways, because of this time of separation, we are focused and effective in carrying out that mission. I want to end by reading the message translation of 1 Corinthians 13, this famous passage about love. You need to know that Paul is not talking about romantic love. I had this passage read at my wedding. It's a great passage for weddings. But it's not primarily about romantic love. It's not about feelings. It's about the church. So I want you to listen to the way that Paul describes this achava. Listen to how Paul describes this divine love of God. He says, love never gives up. Love cares more for others 
than for self. Love doesn't want what it doesn't have. Love doesn't strut, doesn't have a swelled head, doesn't force itself on others, isn't always me first, doesn't fly off the handle, doesn't keep score of the sins of others, doesn't revel when others grovel, takes pleasure in the flowering of truth, puts up with anything, trusts God always, always looks for the best, never looks back, but keeps going to the end. Love never dies. Let's pray. Father God, your love for us, the fact that you love us, not because we are worthy, but simply because you love us, that is not only a comfort and a source of strength for us, It's a commission that if somebody like me is broken and bruised as I am, if somebody like me can be loved simply because you love me, then how can I not share that love with others? God, as time is going on through this pandemic, through this crisis, we can feel our society start to unravel a bit. We can see ourselves taking sides. Over time, that's dangerous not only to our culture, but God, it can be dangerous in our church. So we pray, Holy Spirit, that you would protect us from that division, that you would lead us, that we make wise decisions, that we not act as guinea pigs and just see what happens, but that we also aren't lagging so far behind that we've lost what it means to be the church. Jesus, your sacrificial love for us, teach us, show us the ways, the opportunities we have every day as your sent church. Reveal to us the opportunities where we can model that sacrificial love for others. We pray all this in Jesus' name. And all God's people, no matter where you are or when you're watching, say amen. Thanks for listening. You can find us online at www.fpc-kingwood.org. Our services are available on our website. You can also follow us on Facebook and find us on Instagram at fpc underscore kingwood. We'll see you next time.